Good afternoon, everybody. Um, thank you so much for being here. I'm uh, Matt Waters. I'm the host of the Show and Tell Reading Series. Um, it's the reading series where we uh, try to get to know readers. Hey, fam. Guys. Okay, um, so uh, I like to read a little something to start the day. Um, today was a really easy choice. It's June. And uh, I'm going to read my favorite poem by my favorite poet. It's called Novel by Arthur Rambeau. No one's serious at 17 on beautiful nights when beer and lemonade and loud blinding cafes are the last thing you need. You stroll beneath green lindens on the promenade. Lindens smell fine on fine June nights. Sometimes the air is so sweet that you close your eyes. The wind brings sounds, the town is near, and carries scents of vineyards and beer. Over there, framed by a branch, you can see a little patch of dark blue, stung by a sinister star that fades with faint quiverings, so small and white. June night, 17, drink it in, sap the champagne, it goes to your head. The mind wanders, you feel a kiss on your lips, quivering like a living thing. The wild heart crusoes through a thousand novels, and when a young girl walks alluringly through a street lamp's pale light, beneath the ominous shadow of her father's starched collar, because as she passes by, boot heels tapping, she turns on a dime, eyes wide, finding you too sweet to resist, and cadentinas die on your lips. You're in love off the market till August. You're in love, your sonnets make her laugh. Your friends are gone, you're bad news. Then one night your beloved writes. That night, you return to the blinding cafes. You order beer or lemonade. No one's serious at 17 when Lyndon's lying the promenade. Thank you very much. That was uh, September 29th, 1870. Great modern poet among my heroes. All right, so we're gonna get started. Mike, uh, both of them. This one's kind of working a little better. Yeah. Um, we have Amy Barone. Um, who I will tell you about right now. Amy Barone's uh, latest poetry collection, "We Became Summer," from New York Quarterly Books, was released in early 2018. She wrote chapbooks called Kamikaze Dance, which was published by Finishing Line Press, and Views from the Driveway, published by Foothills Publishing. Uh, Barone's poetry has appeared in Cafe Review, Patterson Literary Review, Sensitive Skin, and Standpoint, uh, UK-based uh, press, among other publications. She belongs to Pan America Center and the Brevetus Poetry Community. From Burnmore, Pennsylvania. I hope I didn't butcher that completely. Um, and now she lives in New York City, and she's here with us today. Very happy she is here. I uh, love her work. Come on, baby. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for coming now. Uh, great to see uh, friends and poetry supporters. Um, I want to thank Matt Wooders for the invitation uh, to read and discuss my writing. Thank you to all my friends who came out on this gorgeous sunny day. And um, thank you to Otto Shrunkenhead for the space. 
Now I'm honored to share the stage with talented writers Anton Yakova and Morgan Pyle. Um, I'm going to start with um, the title poem of Kamikaze Dance. I guess I'm not used to reading uh, from this book anymore. And uh, I chose the title of the chapbook because kamikaze means uh, divine wind in Japanese. When kamikaze touches down, leaves trap, trees prance, spirits swirl. In a lover's trance, all nature stirs, birds aflutter, their melodious arias in sync. A teasing sun plays hide and seek, Cast shadows on their fento valleys, lush green, dares the clouds to reply. Woman of earth, I was parched of breezes, danced my childhood days in windswept Philadelphia, chasing destiny. Mountain days here, in Abruzzo's ancient spa town of Caramonico Terme, transport me back through the wind's whispers and roars where the adjacent park's wild residence rhapsodize away the indigo evenings as I seek shelter under chameleon skies and again dance with trees. Um, so uh, the next two poems I'm going to read from uh, We Became Summer, my latest collection from New York Quarterly Books. And um, in honor of Father's Day, I chose these two. Paperboy's Daughter. The crumpling of newspapers still echoes, my father reading the Philadelphia Inquirer with morning coffee, flipping pages of the evening bulletin before dozing in his chair. Only seven, he rose at 5 a.m. to deliver papers, honored work from then on. His hardware store staff enjoyed two daily papers on the half-hour lunch break the town news agency, once a buzz with traffic, now sits off the Pike's center. Alone in the store, I search for a recent byline, still revere the printed page and worlds it opens. And uh, this is called Soundtrack to My Father's Life. He loved Gershwin, big bands, opera, marching bands, my father studied violin at the Bryn Mawr Conservatory of Music, a school started by his oldest brother, a lofty ambition for the son of Italian immigrants and one of eight children. The house felt barren after he left. Music no longer sprang from corners of rooms. I remember his favorites, Yellowbird, Mood Indigo, Bye Bye Blackbird. I salvaged his vinyl collection from the basement, making space above ground for his 45s from Decca Records, a 78 of Liberace's Dark Eyes, a Bing Crosby tune, When the Moon Comes Over, Madison Square. Today, I live near the park. Thank you. Um, so this book has five sections. Um, marked by the themes of summer, and um, I really like live music a lot, so there's a music section, and this is called Swinging Jazz. A steamy July set the mood for jazz. Victor Bailey's putting on a party to take me music he adores. Dropping our Manhattan cool, 
We give in to Brooklyn's pool, air and space, shapeshifter lab's wide white room, walls splashed with vibrant murals of musicians at play. Fans and friends drive to a booming bass. Drummer Lenny White carries the beat. Alec Foster's horn seduces. Mina Cinello on percussion creates magical sounds. Sweet guitar licks fill the night. A flirting filmmaker records the show. We salute the moment with Spanish white. Victor Bass in rhythm and swing inspires and energizes. A sapping illness lurks, but Victor's faith and funk drive the spirit. A spontaneous family formed, ready to dance again. In line with music, this is a newer poem called Queen of Tone. Abigail Ibarra didn't live nine lives. She stopped at one. Her job spanned over 50 years at Thunder Guitars, where small nimble hands of a Latino teen made waves. A pickup winder, she advanced from work and soldering and lit a path for other young women who found joy in a unique job. Striving for brilliance, her electric guitars mesmerized legions of fans and radicalized the sound of rock music. She drew demand from Jimi Hendrix, Joan Jett, Eric Clapton, who relied on her handcrafted pickups for their edgy sound. A legacy with measure, they say she wound guitar wire that could have circled the world 16 times. So I have an Italy section in this book, and um, I do have copies here for sale on my books if anyone's interested. Um, I worked in Milan in the 90s for five years. This is called One in Italy. Feel beautiful in Rome. Grab a bike and get happy in Ferrara, the planned Renaissance city where people travel by cycle round ancient walls and along the Po. Retrace Joyce's steps in Trieste and feel the splash of the Adriatic's far north reach. Work hard in Milan, where serious Italians operate on Swiss time. Greet my cousins in Teramo, where hills shrouded in gold harbor lands and mushrooms. Get mystic of Ravenna, where east meets west, and Byzantine mosaics adorn centuries-old cathedrals. Uncover Italy's true masterpieces in Positano, sea and sky and rock, the big hole in the mountain that resembles, well, anatomy, and then indulge in heaping plates of spaghetti con vongole, pledged to stay forever and never go back. And this is called Retro Rider. Ducati's gone vintage and resurrected the scrambler, Steve McQueen's bike of choice as a war prisoner in the great escape. I once rode on the back of a Harley. Grad school at 30 had its perks. Fearless and helmetless, I clutched the seat, not my odd Italian-American date, as we were past cacti, flanking the Phoenix Highway. Ten years later, Ducati headquarters 
As a reporter for Advertising Age, I hoped for a test ride, but had to settle for a photo. Me and Ducati, living in the land of Tortellini, where my taste now ran to fire engine red motorcycles, whose drivers were devastatingly handsome and spoke perfect Italian. This is a short poem from a new manuscript, um, Moscow, based in Italy. It's called Barely. A brute says brown bears, calm creatures who roam the Apennine mountains and woodlands, summer in meadows up high, and sleep on branch mattresses by day, are a pearl of extinction. Fifty Marsican bears, activists for ecotourism remain, to search for beloved buckthorn berries, embark on twilight passaggiate near the land of my ancestors in a grand national park on a tourist-ridden peninsula that's in hibernation. Uh, this is called Dreamscapes. Blurred distances haunted by one's familiar places. New York has become a maze I can no longer navigate. Rome is now a short train ride away. Distorted time, people long forgotten play poignant roles on this stage. They are integral to the stories, more familiar than they ever were before. I wonder why I never saw them in this light. Fleeting encounters, the unexpected is a tonic. It melts away the mundane elements of recent memories, exhilarated, I long to stay. Altered state, I pledge to return and continue the drama of love gone right and travels around the world, unplanned, baggage-free, weightless. These are some newer poems. Uh, this is called Lunar Love. They say your hidden side is dark, but it's simply far. Locked in tidal swells, she shows us the same face every night. An asteroid passed close to Earth during the last supermoon on the first day of spring. She loomed high above the softened ground where earthworms rose up to feed famished birds. Selenophiles, we flaunt our love of the heavens. No cure exists for our fixation. A gold rotund globe or yellow slice of sky, the stars and moon stay true night after night. Redemption arrives on cloud-filled days when she hides, or afternoons when her strained spirit burns bright. Bardo. They're up there, in transition, sandwiched between old and new lives, floating, attachment dissolving, thoughts turning pure. They'll become who they're meant to be as long as they have the grit to conclude unfinished business, journey on. The next time I chat up clouds of horses and unicorns, I'll be more respectful of friends and family 
Speaking to stars is never in vain. Survivors. Cowhells reemerged on Bermuda's Nonsuch Island after a 300-year absence. The petrels thrive alongside native flora, wildlife, and limited access to man. Tangier Island, in the middle of Chesapeake Bay, supplies the world with softshell crab, home to fewer than 500 residents, where water defines life, where home and country matter. The piping plover, held one day each summer for its resurgence in the Rockaways, New York, lives protected in camouflage nests on the beach. Shadowboxing articares, clinging jellyfish, bone beds and badlands on Fossil Freeway in South Dakota, me. I'm the woman with medicine in her voice, a forest bather, mating like a corpse plant, melting into time, floating toward a twelfth life like a trumpeter swan. Um, the last two poems are from my latest collection. Um, this next one won an award uh, from Philadelphia Poets Literary Journal last year. It's called Lessons Learned from Us. I, I learned the art of detachment from a destructive past, romanticized by poets whose origins go back millions of years. Celestial nomads that feast on leather, wool, silk, felt, and thrive on night, taught me to let go of longing. Animals stuffed with memories, dolls from a distant dad, an embroidered coat from gimbals. When I returned to my late mother's home, white larvae covered elegant outfits. Souls fell from Ferragamo pumps. Malls cunningly coached me to occupy now, not dwell in closets lined with past lies your focus on nostalgia tarnished by death and deceit. And I'm going to end with the uh, title poem, We Became Summer. Long before we needed protection, we formed tribes and picked a chief. Firstborns have a knack for stirring idolatry. Bike rides energized us on innocent mornings. The sun perfumed our fresh skin. Before self-awareness replaced laughter and possession replaced play. At dusk, seduction set in, bruises faded and mosquitoes fled. Lightning bugs appeared as beer-soaked dads threw teen neighbors into backyard swimming pools. And we invited boys into the playhouse shed before ennui replaced embracing fear of the unknown. Thank you, Anthony. Gorgeous poetry. Enjoyable uh, to hear, obviously. Um, here's a question that actually uh, spontaneously came to me uh, while, while I was uh, listening to read, and it's about travel. Right? Active traveling and what you're observing uh, as you convey in the poems, there's such a magical quality to it, like almost rhythmic, almost musical. And I was wondering if it feels that way to you in the moment, if you, if you love traveling, or possibly 
if the writing process has a, a magical quality to it, do these things work together? Do you feel like you're illuminating these qualities when you're writing? Does that question make sense? No, it makes sense. Um, I, I guess people say, I didn't realize this, but you know, you're a poet, you're a poet of memory and place, so when I, I can still write an Italian poem based on memory, because I haven't lived there in 20 years. You know, I've gone back on vacation, but um, I don't travel as much as I used to, but when I do, I think travel is, is great. Uh, it's a great resource and outlet for writing. Um, I start thinking maybe I better travel more because my poetry is slipping. Like, you know, you have to look for inspiration. And um, I think travel's a big part of that. But so is looking out the window. And <laughs> I, I like the, the new poems are terrific as well. And just one other, one other thing. Um, you, you do have recording experience. And I was wondering if that has played a role in, in your poetry and all that style of writing. Um, secure, you know, right. I, I've also been a reporter too. Oh, well, I, was, I was a trade journalist in Milan for Women's Wear Daily and Advertising Age, and there's a kind of a formula to writing. And when I started, I was all excited because I have two business degrees. I, you know, I was excited to be a reporter back when, you know, 20 years ago, magazines saw you know, were more important, especially in the trade world, and um, but there's a formula to that kind of writing. So I still, I didn't write as much as I write now on the creative side, but I still wrote poetry from some, time to time, but it, it, was a, it was a neat outlet because the two were so different, you know, with, with trade journalism. You know, I did other, I love reporting, I mean, I, I thought I was a good reporter, but it's just hard to, um, to do it anymore. I hear that. But uh, I think they complement each other. Well, thanks. Uh, books available. Uh, please check that out. We're going to take a five minute uh, recess, and uh, Anton will, will come up. Uh, and thanks for being here. It's an amazing turnout. Thanks so much for spending some of your Saturday uh, in here. <laughs> so thank you. I right, look forward to Anton in a couple minutes. Mingle, do what you got here.
Song on memory lane. 
thanks again, everybody. Really appreciate you being here. Um, Anton Yakolev's uh, latest chapbook, Kronos Dines Alone, winner of the 2018 James Tate Poetry Prize, was published by Sir Vision Books. He's also the author of Ordinary Impalers, that was published by Kelsey Books in 2017, and two prior chapbooks, The Ghost of Grant Wood, published by Finishing Line Press in 2015, and Neptune Court, published by The Operating System, also in 2015. His poems have appeared in The New Yorker, The Hopkins Review, Prelude, Measure, The Stockholm Review of Literature, and elsewhere. The Last Poet of the Village, a book of translations of poetry by Russian poet Sergei Yesenin, is forthcoming from Sensitive Skin Books. Anton is the Education Director at Bowery Poetry Club and co-hosts the Carmine Street Metric Series here at Iowa Shrunken Head. So we're in excellent company. Really appreciate you being here, and uh, come on up. Oh yeah, yeah. There. That, that, I should have, yeah, should have known that. That's my powers of observation. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you yeah. for awesome. everyone for being here, and an honor to read with you, Amy and Morgan. Great to hear your work. Okay. Everything thrown out, except for the eyes. So I'm reading a couple of new poems before I read from my travel. Everything thrown out, except for their eyes meeting across the river, not noticing the vomiting dog. Well, that's the architecture of love, steeples of inattention, pits of catharsis, coffins of hurry. These details matter to exactly zero morning dogs. Later, they also noticed each other's postures. The train was delayed or just never scheduled, so they took each other's hand. The endless pounding of the clock broken at midnight. The operatic puppets grimaced wildly. Dangerous books were getting burned at the most beautiful square. When the fire was done, one of the mandolinists forgot to leave and was seen playing all through the night and into the next afternoon. The wind blew cinders into his nostrils. Censors made snow angels in the ashes. He bought her half a flower but got distracted. A wasp pollinated it. Next year, there will be millions of half flowers. Nocturnal birds will be hired to eat them. Her voice. She makes impressions without finishing touches. She fights philosophy with her homegrown monadnock hen. Her portable xylophones hurt the pretentious beautiful. Her weapons aren't obvious. At length, the oxygen starts running out, and instead of enchantment with her consciously limited number of breaths per minute, I start to yearn for the canyon outside the one in which you can still find a stray guillotine here and there. If guillotines could sing, would they sing in her voice? If I spoke in her voice, how quickly would I catch fire? <coughs> I hope you are wonderful. 
These days, if I make my bed, I see my I see your heart untucking itself from my pillow and falling out onto the defunct horse farm I only pretended to own when you were around. Our respective continents drift past each other in a planet of blood. You were too beautiful to wear anything, and so you took off my sunglasses. Now I live in the blinding weather your eyes were two years ago. What day they were a cloud. Would that you were a self-conscious clown, a slumped ambassador from the reticent side of the wall. I wave at you with an irresponsible grin. Your hologram waves back at me from a New England cranberry bomb, the only place where things made sense to you for a time. On the world's worst mountain, they still remember the quickness of your eyes scanning the graves of the almost successful climbers. A mere outline of a man climbed alongside you lighter than a day off. Later, when you whispered despair to me in the car, love fell out of my ear into our shared coffee. You climbed your ladder high enough to see us both in the coffin. None of this here matters. Your shadows sprinkle the desert. I never asked you the questions you were convinced I slotted you with. Never fitted my truck with trinkets of you. Revisiting all the places we had tucked each other in, I keep my hazard lights on. You wouldn't want to talk to me anyway. I don't care to meet the horrid bird you plan to become this year. I never thought of our intertwined fingers as a ladder to anything other than ourselves. Progress. Is the near misses you remember the loudest. The cushions fall. The grass sticks to your shirt. It's just not your day. Still, your beloved God continues his mountaineering, demanding love from his flock of grim reapers. It's not your day to be destroyed by something less than the wind. And so you have a go at it again. Maybe you make it. Or maybe the oil barrel blows up on your torso. But it's not your day to be ripped apart and you grasp the hand extended to you. You return to center. You search for that unknown address on the backs of stupid butterflies. You could populate a township with the people putting their heads into oil barrels for fun, but of course you don't want to. You don't really want to do anything. It's not your day. A stop rain rumbles a foggy symphony. It's not your day to leave or arrive. It's not your day to drink milk from simplicity. Those who laugh at you took all your walls and your gardens when they inscribed your nickname on the river. Your beloved God continues his pilgrimage, forgotten in a rolled-up mat of folklore only you bother to spike these days. The flock of grim reapers is unemployed, even with all the death. It's just not their day. He could populate the dragon's belly with all the turkey vultures to training him and stuffing him into noise. He doesn't really have that in his life. He never did. It's not his day. It's never his day. Okay. I do have copies of the chat book uh, for sale over there if uh, anyone is interested. Continuing on the theme of the Green Reaper, this is called On a Red Line Train to Brain Drain. 
The first time I saw the Grim Reaper, he was right next to my foot. I mistook him for an oversized moth. I was about to squash him, but became curious. He flew up, settled behind the woman sitting directly in front of me on the train, and started to inch his scythe toward her neck. The woman shifted her shoulders. The Grim Reaper would qu look quiet and even keeled. The passengers next to us saw him too, but no one did anything and just smiled about it. There was a poster hanging above the Reaper with hefty postcards attached to enroll at the community college. A plan was born in my mind. Pick a card and throw it at him. That would cause a disturbance great enough that the Reaper would have to scram. But an emotional song was playing on my iPod. It was too much of a special moment. Besides, in order to pick up that card, I would have had to lean in too close to the woman whose low-cut shirt was not all that well adjusted. The Reaper never stirred, just inched his sight closer. The train came out of the tunnel, and the woman started dialing her boyfriend on her iPhone to tell him about the Grim Reaper that hovered behind her. I was curious whether this would make the boyfriend break up with her, or, on the contrary, offer love and new jewelry but it was too noisy to eavesdrop. I hoped the woman would exit at the same station as I to see if the reaper would follow her, but she didn't. I had to go. She remained sitting, bladed her neck. As I walked out, everyone on the train was commenting on the green reaper, husbands making sophisticated jokes for their wives and children, translating some of the more difficult stuff for foreigners. I came home and quickly fell asleep. I did not dream of anything I had seen. The next morning, looking through the metro and Phoenix, I looked for news of a subway death, but the papers must have been sent to press too early to run the story. Okay. The man who remixed your soul. I walked with you through Washington Square Park, transmitting the voice of God, but you didn't notice. I set fire to the orange in your Manhattan, but all you wanted was to change the station. I called myself your life's signature oasis, but you drowned me in static. So then, I buried myself in a potter's field, and you wouldn't stop screaming requiems. My ears had loved you, even in your past life, but you jumped to the next track and got lost. By the time you came back, the man who remixed your soul had gotten permanently stoned. These days I try to spot you in every park, but the voice of God is all I hear. And so many. Pictures of ruffled hair, pictures of skyward eyes, and too much of you. Pupils drift sideways, we drift to flashes of orange, a floodlit alley. Constellations play, restless checkers outside. I am too much with you, you find me in your roasted chicken. You see me in a splashing helicopter. Pictures of hair growing out of pupils. You're a prophet who goes to the bathroom to freshen up, apply lip gloss, apply shadow. When you re-emerge, no one recognizes you. They declare you missing, call a search party. You join it too. Spend five hours looking for a missing prophet before realizing it's you. I wasn't there to tell them who you were. I wasn't there to tell yourself who you were, and yet, I am too much with you. I am in your every text message to all the blessed fuckers in the celestial bathtub. 
pictures of curtsy, pictures of beggars' escapes. You want to find out more about your banshee parents by seeing them through my eyes. I want to close my eyes, but my eyes are spotlights. Every spotlight is a thorn, pictures of thorns. After you're found, everyone in the search party acts like you don't exist. You just want to go off somewhere where people won't roll their eyes. I don't throw anything, but I am too much for you. A murderous trip. I kept left behind by the herd. You crashed through the trees just as I set them on fire. You memorize silence. Pictures of helicopters taken from behind islands. I am too much your prophet. You scratch the air with my voice. You speak to me through wooden fruit. I align myself with a broken tree on the ground. Insomnia grunts in the blood of our greatest heroes. There is no stronger coffee than the science fiction we've become. Mm -hmm. And two poem warning. Just called transmission. <laughs> Transmissions. There was a time they said these things cheek to cheek. Now talking to her, his voice takes the shape of waves and makes its way to the cell phone tower in Manchester by the sea, built to look like an oversized mast in the middle of a marina. From there, it goes on to a redwood in Pennsylvania, the only redwood that exists in the state. Why they could not have shaped their cell phone tower like a blue spruce, even Dan doesn't have a clue. Onward, with barely noticeable static, the silent waves of his words reach the cross of Calvary-shaped cell phone tower in the Bible Belt, then move to a citadel at a maximum security prison. I love you, he casually drops, and his sentiment reaches her, courtesy of a giant metal giraffe on a hill in front of a diner. A war memorial with a double life, a whimsical out-of-commission lighthouse that only men with mustaches are allowed to enter. I almost ran over a toddler today. I cried, she confesses. Via gigantic deer antlers in a nature preserve. A purple hundred foot cactus in an oasis. The long horn of a jumbo rhinoceros at the top of a roller coaster. Tirelessly she relates how her family members enslave her, or so she thinks. Her voice transmitted by turrets on haunted Victorian mansions, giant chips on top of casinos and a dull, copper-flame-shaped sculpture in the middle of a columbarium. I wish you were here. I just made some more instant coffee. A flagpole with an upside-down American flag transmits on a day of acutely developing national crisis. I still don't like cats, she insists, through several obelisks. They've been talking for over an hour now, and he is tired. Goodbye, he says abruptly. She asks him about his day. Goodbye, he repeats. She keeps talking. She is unstoppable. Goodbye, he says again. That stays on the line. And this is called Bon Hamlet. Moving forward, none of our stories will fill or empty any bottles. Newsprint will continue to yellow. The captain under your window will continue to throw tentative tritons your way, never reaching your ears through glass. A Grim Reaper impersonator will major in rocking boats, but 
failing to secure an internship, moved to Finland. Only a black bear makes your home his home, gliding over its non-trivial rooftop wires with the ease of a cadaver giving up carbon isotopes. Your fluency is rock, paper, scissors, and your sleep is a braided acheron. Come out fighting. Make a macadamia of yourself. Feed old bones into the steam locomotive. I am all eyes now. Your elusive harvests, your body decor, the pinata zeitgeist of your collapsed balcony have learned to sing harmony. Now where is your traffic jam? Moving backwards through years of firework standoffs, I've glimpsed your collapsing politics in that mirror. Don't you forget that. I've sliced through the spider webs. We've walked across the field for a little while. Thank you. All right, let's hear it again. That was great. Perfect. Um, yes, and thank you for being here again, Anton. And, um, I have a uh, contract with Bob Dylan Incorporated. If I don't bring him up or connect him with something, I get electroshocked <laughs> in my neck. Um, so, uh, I'm just, I actually, um, I, I caught that new documentary that was about the Rolling Thunder review a couple days ago, and there was a moment uh, during the film, I actually don't remember the commentator who was speaking, but they were talking about uh, uh, surrealism and painting, and how the best surrealists will paint the abstract, otherworldly imagery with even more realism as to make an impact. And I actually thought of some of your poetry, um, like the poem Chromos Dines Alone, the, the title poem, or uh, just um, you know mentions of the Grim Reaper um, and the hologram in Massachusetts. And it always seems like you're, you're taking that otherworldly quality and grounding it so much in reality, so it, it hits still and even makes more of an impression. So uh, my question is, how do you do that? And um, what attracts you to using that kind of imagery in, in your work as well? Uh, well, answer number one, I think, is I, I just don't want it to be boring. And I don't want it to be uh, obscure and incomprehensible. So I always am nervous about um, boring the reader because something is kind of remote or maybe un unexpected and I want it to feel disconnected so I kind of insist on having the person see it as much as possible so that it becomes as real as, as it can be. Uh, and the other, the other answer, the other question, I, I guess um, it's just sort of how I think, I think. Um, I, there's a lot of metaphors, and I think just from the Russian, the Russian background, and it's it's very it's very common to have a lot of unusual metaphors, even in like Russian pop songs, uh, which if you translate the lyrics to English, they will sometimes be classified as surrealist, but you know they're just pop songs, you know they're easy listening, and I think I'm used to that, and there's just a lot more. Um, kind of wild imagery that is expect, uh, expected culturally and accepted. So a lot of the time, just kind of, just kind of what, uh, I kind of go with the free associations or the, the, the things that just come, kind of come to mind and try to sort of figure out how things are connected even though they're sort of uh, disparate, but then you know, try to sort of build something that explains what the connections are. Sure. 
Thank you. And uh, I think this was just a terrific reading. Um, it was a great time. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Uh, Anton has books as well. And uh, our next reading, I believe, is, uh, well, it's always the first Saturday of each month, except for this one. Um, I believe that's July 7th or something like that. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, Show and Tell Reading Series, on Instagram as well. I post a lot of video and pictures and things like that. Thanks so much for spending some of your Saturdays here again for our awesome readers on that water. Hope to see you next time, and uh, have a great day. Bye-bye.